This morning we are in back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are covering verses 14 through 18. And the title of this morning's message is Separate. Not could be separate, I guess, but we'll just make, make it into a verb, right? It's an action. Separate. That's what we're called to do. We're called, we are a separate people as Christians, as children of God. Um, but we're also called to take individual responsibility for what God has commanded to us in His Word, and that is to separate. We're going to learn about what that looks like here in a few moments. Um, but what I want to do is, instead of reading verses 14 through 18, I want to start in verse 11. Uh, but we're going to cover more in depth verses 14 through 18. So let's start out in verse 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, if I, I, in return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Father, we commit this time into your hands. Lord, we know that one of the the most difficult things to do is to be in the world and yet not of the world. It's so difficult as we have the pressures of life all around us. Lord, we um, have things that are competing for our attention. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, Father. Speak to us. Pour your Spirit out upon us. And may we, may we learn truly to walk in the Spirit that we may not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. Help us to be separated unto you. And, uh, and Lord, to bless you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So separate. Um, I am sure that a pastor has little more difficult a message to deliver than one that deals with the subject of separation and the relationship of the Christian to this world in which we live in. Especially to the younger generation, the millennials. That, that is one of the most difficult messages, I think, that can be delivered to God's people, and like I said, especially to the younger generation. Because we all know that the defenses go up immediately, and the person who's communicating what God has said about separating is accused of certain things, right? Oh, you know, bring this, you need to be separated. You, you need to be separated from and you need to be separated unto. It's like, the defenses go up. Oh, you're just uptight. You're old-fashioned. You're out of date. 
You're stealing my happiness. Just what? Loosen up, right? That, that's, that's immediately what starts happening, right? So the defenses go up. They do. But here's the thing is the person who insists on the issue of separation from the world is considered to be what? Narrow-minded, right? And, and also another word that comes up often within the body is you are a legalist. Like a legalist? Do you know what a legalist is? It's someone who applies rules that you and, and, and hoops that you have to jump through in order to be saved. Like these are the things that are required in addition to the Bible that you have to adhere to in order for you to be saved. And, and if you don't adhere to these rules, then by all means, you are not saved. It's like, what? Yeah, listen, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay, that's it. That is, that is salvation. We don't have to work for it. The work's already done. It's finished. It's, it was done on the cross a little over 2,000 years ago. We need to believe that. We need to know that. We need to receive that. It's interesting, though, that the one who considers themselves to be open-minded and, and quote-unquote tolerant wouldn't consider what others or God has to say, but only willing to give place to what they want to hear. Let me tell you that there is a great danger in that. Now, before you withdraw, before you shut down, and before you tune out at this time, I want to point out the spirit in which Paul wrote these words to the Christians in Corinth. That is why I backed up and I started in verse 11. Because he says, We have spoken freely to you, very openly. Corinthians, our hearts, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. We, didn't hold, we haven't hold, held, held you back from anything. He says, but you are restricted in your own affections. What are we affectionate for? Those are the things that are restricting us, preventing us from moving forward in the Lord. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Hey, listen, widen your hearts. Receive what we have to say. We've opened up our hearts to you. We've explained to you what we've experienced, what we've done, how we've done it, when we've done it. All of these things, we've, we've opened up to you. We've been very frank, very genuine with you. Open your heart also. He's pleading with them. It's like this turn, right? This passionate demonstration of affection toward the Corinthian believers. He makes a passionate appeal for them to separate themselves from, at that point, from every worldly entanglement. As he says those words. He he says those words and then he goes right into this next section. This was not to rain on anyone's parade, but rather to help them in many ways, avoiding spiritual and personal failures and promoting a close or a closer relationship with the Lord. You see, the Corinthian believers were very carnal people. They were, they were like, they knew what it was to be in the world. They know what you feel today. The, the pressures of the culture in which we live in were very common to the believers in that day. And so this is very much applicable to us today. Is it relevant? Not. Listen, I can read this right now just the way it is, and it's relevant to us. I, I don't have to do anything. 
in addition to, to make this apply to us today. Although there are specific pictures that Paul draws in the minds and hearts of the Corinthian Christians to understand the logic of separation, because that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. Like, there's this logic. Hey, listen, partnership and communion, like all these things. He's saying, think about it. You know, these things just don't mix. Let, let this really, like, sink into your understanding. Think about these things. He draws these pictures for the believers in Corinth. To understand the logic of separation, we need to consider the subject of separation in far wider context, though, than perhaps the local application is here or at the time in the church of Corinth. We need to understand it, how God sees it and how He is communicating it. And it is truly timeless. It applied then as it does today. It was the word of God to Isaiah the prophet. As he said in Isaiah 52, 11, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. It was the word of God to Solomon and to the people as they dedicated the temple. And I know this is quoted often. It's quoted... It, probably is going to be quoted today in church many, numerous times. It's going to be prayed by many people and applied to our nation. But this is a call to separate. Keep in mind that the Word of God, as we come together as a body this morning, by the way, if you've slipped in and you are not a believer, this message and this word, this letter by Paul to the Corinthians is for the church. You're, you're like eavesdropping on what the Apostle Paul and what God has to say to the church. This is a verse that applies to God's people. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now listen, we may have been founded upon godly principles. But at this point, we are a nation far from recognizing who God truly is. Far from it. In fact, my son, Christopher, he's in the Navy, he's in Japan. And he texted yesterday, and we have this group uh, text that we have going on, and, and, uh, and he was asking about, he says, do you know anything about transgender if, if now that's the military's open to transgender as well. And uh, I said, I don't know. And, and, uh, and then someone piped in and said, I, I, I think that, was, that came across uh, like a week or two ago. And um, listen, I, I stand where God stands. If, uh, if I'm hated, then I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus was hated first. But I stand with truth. We are far from a nation under God. But this verse is not, it doesn't say, if my people in the United States of America who are called by me, you know, or, or just them, it, it doesn't say that. Listen, 
It starts here with the church. If my people who are called by my name. God can do an amazing thing right here. In the, in the midst of darkness, oh my gosh, what could happen outside these doors if they hear from you, if you tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ, what could happen? Our transformed hearts, transformed lives, just like it happened with me, just like it happened with you. I was pulled out of darkness. And if it could happen with me, it could happen with anyone. Truly, it can happen with anyone. God, from the very beginning, has chosen his people unto himself and separated them from the world. And there are two reasons for this. Number one is preservation. If God's people freely mix with the heathen nations, that is with the world around, outside of the people who are called God's people, outside, heathen nations around them, then it wouldn't be long before they lost their faith. And we, we see this warning over and over in the Bible. Uh, they would uh, have adopted their heathen ways, that's going on right now, and customs, and no one could distinguish any difference between them. We are called to be a peculiar people. You know, not weird. I'm not saying weird. I'm saying a peculiar people, a separated people, a, a people who are distinguished. We should be. It's like when someone sees you, they should see a difference between you and the world. Like That's what I saw with the guy who led me to Christ. It's like, what's up with you, Mike? <laughs> Something different about you. And I remember those words. You really want to know? <laughs> we should be distinguishable from the world. Now, Israel's history is a powerful testimony of this danger, this warning, right? Showing how uh, they were seduced and pulled away from their true faith by the world around them and dealt with sorrow and their own bitter experiences. We see this over and over. I mean, just, just go to the book of Judges and, and just go... It's like, it's like this, this merry-go-round. You know, you go around to the same place every, you know, so often. So we see it illustrated. Solomon was warned of what would happen if he accumulated wives. He didn't listen. And the Bible tells us that they turned his heart away from the Lord. If it can happen with Israel, and, and if it can happen with Solomon, then how much more can it happen with us? I mean, Israel saw... God's miracles, powerful miracles firsthand as they were delivered from slavery under Egypt. And they turned, you remember the golden calf? It didn't take very long for them to turn their hearts and, and go toward an idol. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Ezra comes back from captivity and persecution. And um, do you know, have you read through Ezra? Do you know what he came to find with God's people? It's amazing what he came back to find. They were mixing again in marriage with the pagan nations. And, and, he, and I want to share this prayer that he prays in Ezra 9, 13 through 15. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with peoples who practice these abominations? 
Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor any escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped, as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. He came back to that. One of the um, most difficult things to see, and, and at the same time, it's like, <sighs> I'm, I'm in this place to where, you know, you, you give the truth, um, but then you have to allow people to make their own decisions. And of course, you're not going to make decisions for people. Um, you know, sometimes when we marry, we get frustrated, okay? And, and, and we, we take things perhaps in a way into our own hands, and we start looking for a spouse in all the wrong places, as the song says, right? And, um, and we do find the wrong people in the wrong places. There's nothing that says that you should be married by the age of, and just fill in the, the blank. Nothing, right? Could be... It could be 19. Some people marry at 19 and, wow, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Until then, give yourself unto the Lord. He who is not married, he who is, does not have a spouse, does not have that person. You know, as you're married, you, you give yourself wholly to your spouse, Right? Now you're not only serving the Lord, but you're serving your spouse, and you're called to do that. To love them like no other person on this earth. For it to be a demonstration of the relationship between Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. But oftentimes we get into a hurry, and we marry someone who, if we're a Christian, if we're a believer, an unbeliever. And let me tell you, let me, let me, go, let me go back to this. And this is, this is day in and day out. Do not be deceived. Bad company uh, corrupts or ruins good morals. And I'm not saying that the person is, is bad, but they're bad. They haven't been redeemed. You're bad too. But you've been redeemed. And you ha- you're a completely different person. And when you get ahead of the Lord and you marry and you're unequally yoked, you see, these verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 does not just apply to marriage. It applies to um, partnerships. It, it applies to friendships. It, it applies to all of these relationships that we have out, outside of marriage, including marriage. And when, once we come together, then we are influenced and we are impacted by Someone who is not walking with the Lord. This is what happened. And this is what happened with Israel. And Ezra was no doubt frustrated. He comes back after, wow, here's this persecution. After just dealing with captivity. And he finds that although the people of God were called to be separate, here they were joining together with the other nations. So it was for their preservation, the first reason. Secondly, because love chooses, is possessive, and is exclusive. 
This is not in the negative. When I say these things like possessive and God is a jealous God and, and, and this is an exclusive love in this sense, it is not in the negative sense. It is in the, the positive sense. Okay, This is a good thing. This is demonstrated in marriage, by the way. As we choose our spouse and are faithful to them, it is a love that is exclusive to that person that is not to be shared with anyone else. No one else. Man or woman, if you're sharing the same marital affection with someone else, whether it be in your office or on social media or somewhere else, stop. That is only meant for your spouse. It is a picture of the relationship, again, between, between the Lord and His people. And it is not to be adulterated in any way, shape, or form at all. My wife right now is uh, in Apple Valley with our son, Isaiah. And uh, I, I went yesterday, and, and I... Saw him play a couple games, soccer games, and uh, and they did good. And uh, but they ended up uh, staying up there. She had, um, you know, we had rented a, a hotel room up there, and she stayed up there with Isaiah. And he played this morning, and he won. They did good again this morning. They're playing one more of the championship game here at noon. But um, it's odd. It, it's odd, you know. It's weird, you know. I came back yesterday, and. You know, I, I enjoy my time with my son. Isaac, I love you. <laughs> but he's not my wife. <laughs> and it's just weird being separated. You know, physically, even for a short period of time. It, it, it's weird. I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that I, I have this unequal love for my wife that I share with no one else. And that's how it is with our Lord. That's how it is. He wants that intimate relationship with each and every one of us, and He doesn't want to share us with anyone else. And we should choose that. You see, this, this love, this love, it, it chooses, it's possessive, and it's exclusive. It's possessive in that we give our whole selves to the one. And they give their whole selves to us. This type of love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. If, you, if you're taking notes, jot down 1 Corinthians 13, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a love that God has for His people, a people who choose to love Him and give themselves to Him through Jesus Christ and therefore gain life eternal. We love because He first loved us. We know not love if we know not God. We know a worldly love, but we don't know God's love. We are called, actually, to take sides with Him. Luke eleven twenty three says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus also said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this is a matter of the will. 
God does not cause this love to stir up in us against our will and bring us to the point to where we have, we have no choice in the matter, just like we love him and that's it. No, no, no. That wouldn't be love at all. That'd be a robot. We can program robots to do that. Um, there's Twilight Zone episodes that have to do with that. I love you. I, it's like, ugh. <laughs> this is nonsense, right? That wouldn't be love at all. Love is a choice. God has chosen us, but we have chosen. But the, but the question is, is have we chosen him? See, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? But the question is, do, do we choose him? Do we receive that? And will anything less than our whole lives suffice to express our love for the grace and forgiveness that he has expressed toward us in that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. He demonstrated it. Will anything less than our whole lives suffice? And the answer is no. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The New Testament church, by the way, had no misconception of what Jesus Christ our Lord meant when he said these words. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And what I mean by the New Testament church is the early church, the, the beginning of the church. They had no question whatsoever. I don't think we really have a question today. I, I, th- I think, rather, it's, it's, it's a struggle of the will. It's like, oh, I know what that means. And um, I, my hands are going to be tied. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. It's like, no, you, ha- you don't have to do a thing. You really don't. Again, we don't, we don't have to do anything for our spouses. We don't. We can live miserably in marriage, and many people do. It's all about me, myself, and I. But when you choose to love the other, then things change. And if you know how to love like God loves, oh, then it's a completely transformed marriage. Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the, the, the reproach he endured. James 1.27, any question here? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It doesn't stop there. Sometimes we get into, you know, let's help everyone around us and share a love that is accepting of everyone. And, and we, we go to this verse, but we, then we miss this final portion that says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Oh, what, what does that mean? Again, it was clear to the church in Corinth. I am pretty sure. I know you. You are smart. I know that you know what this means. Unstained before the world. This is why when the Apostle Paul makes his passionate plea to the Corinthian Christians, it was to a people who had full knowledge of the consecration that the Lord had always called them to. In terms of the burnt offerings of Leviticus chapter 1 and, verse, and, and also in chapter 6, we covered that on Wednesday, by the way. 
God had very clearly communicated to his people that they were to remain separate from uncleanness, that is sin, the world, and maintain a relationship with him and worship him alone. It was very clear. It is still clear today. Therefore, when we read these words again, and that's why I wanted to give you like this, this breakdown of the, just a glimpse at the history of Israel, what's been from the very beginning. Then we read these verses again. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Does that make sense? Righteousness, lawlessness, well, It's not the same. They can't mix, right? Or what fellowship? What more partnership? Now it's, or what fellowship has light with darkness? That's communion. That's a, that's this mutual sharing. There's, there's no sharing there. Light and darkness, they're not the same. What accord has Christ with Belial? Um, Christ, that is, with Belial, in this sense, we're talking about Satan. Nothing. Christ is the Son of God. Satan is created. He is a fallen angel. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What portion? Portion. Do you know what your portion is in eternity? You are joint heirs with Christ of all of God's riches. To be absent from the body for you is to be present with the Lord. That is not true of the unbeliever. There is this chasm that separates the two. That's why, that's why Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Don't sit on the fence. The, the saying goes, Satan owns the fence upon which you sit. To sit on the fence is to sit undecided toward Christ. Because it's very clear. Listen, it, you're either on one side or the other. There's no sharing. This is what you have. This is what unbelievers don't have. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Zero. For we are the temple of the living God. You and I, who are Christians, who are believers, who indwells us? The Spirit of God. He seals us for the day of redemption. That's amazing. He's our guarantee. God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be, be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. It says the Lord that provides everything, that has everything. Unequally yoked in verse 14 means to pull in two different directions. That's what that means. You have the yoke, you put them on oxen that, that are pulling in one direction. If they're equally yoked, they're the same size, height, strength. They're, they're pulling straight line. You get two different ones, the line's all over the place. It's like this. No, no bueno. No good. Remember that bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33. They always will. Um, Verse 14. There's a foul partnership. Righteousness and lawlessness. A failed fellowship. Light and darkness. Extreme opposites. Belial. That is Satan and Christ. 
shared portion, an agreement, temple of God with idols? Um, No. In fact, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before, or that is besides me. That's, that's, of the Ten Commandments, that's what, number, number one. Number one. That's it. Can we just start there? This is it. Just think about Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. The first commandment of the ten. You shall have no other gods before me, besides me. Like, I am the only God. Besides me, there are no gods. Don't make them up in your own image. Don't make them up. It's just the Lord. He says, be separate unto him, for he has chosen you. Again, Paul wasn't raining on anyone's parade, but instead he was helping them in many ways. Avoiding spiritual, like I said at the very beginning, spiritual and personal failures against the Lord. And he was promoting a close relationship with the Lord. That's what he was doing. That's why I started in verse 11. Hey, listen, my heart is open to you. Please don't close your hearts to what the Lord has to say to you. Hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. These are the churches here, the local churches, the local church somewhere else. Listen. Why? Because God is pouring out His heart to you. And He's not giving you these these words so that He could, you know... He he doesn't want to... He's not, number one, He's not narrow-minded. He's not a legalist. In fact, I am blown away by the mercy that He demonstrates. He shows it over and over. I'm reminded again, I can't get it out of my mind, how it was as we went and, and, and Isaac shared in a devotion the other night with the family, how it was that even after Cain killed Abel... How was that uh, God, um, Cain, you know, the way he responded to, to God, number one. And, uh, and then when he, when he passed judgment on him, he says, oh, that's too much for me to bear. And then, God, God, and then he was saying he was afraid to die. He's, oh, they're, they're just going to kill me. And God says, no, I'm going to mark you. They're not going to kill you. They're not. You're going to multiply. You're going to be a numerous people. It's like, What? You know what Cain deserved? Death. Boom. You're done. It's over with. God's mercy is absolutely amazing to me. His mercy is grace. Has he not been gracious towards you? Has he not been merciful? It just blows me away. And then with that same love that he demonstrates to you, and and, and the chief demonstration of that is his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Call upon the Lord. If you believe on Him, you'll you'll be saved. Surrender your life to Him. That's grace. That's mercy. Because we are all deserving of death, of complete separation from Him. And yet He extends His hand of grace in His Son, Jesus Christ. Charles Hodge said this, quote, A man cannot accept reconciliation with God and live in sin. Because the renunciation of sin is involved in the acceptance of reconciliation, Paul never assumes that men may accept one benefit of redemption and reject another. They cannot take pardon and refuse sanctification, close quote. 
The problems with the Christians in Corinth is that they, they had too much affection for the things of the world. And they were in danger of having the Lord choked out of them because of it. The problem with Christians today is that we have too much affection for the things of the world and we are in danger of having the Lord choked out of us. For those of you who are on social media, um, social media is not, it's not like I'm going to tell you, oh, it, it's, it's the devil. You know, I'm not going to tell you that. It, it's, not, it's not Satan in you know, electronic form or anything like that. Okay? But there's a reason why, like personally, I've withdrawn my hand from it. I, I don't go on there very much. Um, if I don't respond to you, um, again, it's, it's not because I'm being rude or I don't want to. It's because I just don't want to be on there very much. I'll just jump on there real quick, read a few things. And even then, you know what? I'll confess to you, I find myself like a few hours later. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> it's because you get sucked into it, don't you? You're like, oh, and then, oh, and then, oh, what happened? Oh, my gosh, you know? So you, you, you do that, and you just like get sucked into it. And then pretty soon, yeah, it's, it can be a long time after. But listen, um, I found that I could spend my time in much better ways. Um, you know, hey, grab version. There's a good app. And start going through um, reading the Bible through a year. You know, commit yourself to being set apart unto the Lord and allow Him to do a work in and through you. Um, grab the Word of God. You know, not that you can't through that, but grab the physical Word of God and read it. Take it wherever you go, just like you take your phone and see what happens. I can tell you that we will learn to be a people who are separate unto God. And so the question at the very end here is, are you separate unto God and who do you choose? Who do you choose? Because love is that. It's a choice. He loves you completely and demonstrated it by sending his son to die on the cross for you. I cannot say that enough. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. That's where all the power is. Jesus came, by the way, to seek and save the lost. He wishes that none should perish. And in closing, I want to just read this. It will be my final close. I know pastors are, uh, in closing, and then in closing, and then in closing. <sighs> okay. No, really, this is my final closing. Okay, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Then we'll pray. Separate. Okay, remember, separate. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us. From all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we may come a liar and his word is not.